You are listening to EMS 2020, a podcast hosted by Spencer Oliver and myself, Chris Finkston. We are paramedics with quite a bit of experience, ranging from flight paramedicine to ground transportation to even some volunteer work as well. EMS 2020 reviews scenarios based on actual out-of-hospital medical scenes. Portions of the scenarios are altered to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. Hey, everybody, it is EMS 2020. Thanks again for once again uh, coming in and downloading and listening to our a remarkable podcast. And I know it's remarkable because you guys have been reviewing it and we're now up to, I don't know, 30 plus reviews. They're all five stars and it's been wonderful. Please, please, please keep doing it. Um, it really, really helps the podcast. Like just leaving a review, even if all you do is go and click that five star button, as long as you feel it's five stars. Uh, <laughs> as, as long as you go and you click that five star button, even if that's all you do, that helps. If you can leave a written review, that helps too. Like that helps. That counts for a lot more than just clicking the stars. But we're appreciative of all of it, uh, of all your feedback, uh, and it's been great. The podcast has been doing really well, and it's all thanks to you guys. So we really do uh, appreciate that. So yeah. No, thank you guys very much, and uh, I'm glad that my dollar a star campaign has been working out uh, really well. <laughs> Which I don't, I don't like your dollar a star campaign because, because in theory, you can still be like paying people a dollar to give us a shit review. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, but my understanding is the algorithm doesn't necessarily care. It's about the like the quality. It's just the quantity of reviews. I don't so. think that's true at all. <laughs> I think that's wrong. I think that's really so, wrong. So you know. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If you only want a dollar, then just leave a star review. But, but if, if you, you want, want five. five, five stars, baby. I don't know. But if someone truly hates us and wasn't otherwise motivated to leave a bad review, they might be like, well, fuck it. I'll get myself a dollar and, and be able to express my true self. Um, I feel like someone's going to be like, can I do four and a half stars to see if he'll break a one? Uh, anyway. <laughs> that's that's fair. All uh, right. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. Um, By the way, uh, the five the $5 is uh, cumulative. So if everyone gives five dollars, uh, then you all get uh, five dollars. This is like Split. if the Blazers get a three pointer, everyone gets a free taco. Is that? Kind yeah, of like, except okay. everyone just gets like five dollars, but split amongst themselves. So. <laughs> oh, perfect. All 30 of yeah. you. All right. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's fair. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so another thing is you guys uh, really liked apparently. You guys really liked having Dr. Sites on. We got a lot of comments from that one. We got a lot of good, uh, we got a lot of downloads on that. And so I don't want to commit the guy to too much, but, um, well, let's just say I'm pretty sure you're going to hear him again on our next episode. Maybe the episode after that. Depends on when we record, if we record. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to have Dr. Sites uh, back on here to, once again, lend some legitimacy to our bullshit. Uh, yeah, what so, a delightful mystery. Yeah, exactly. We do have a good call uh, today. Um, at least Spencer assures me we have a we have a good call today. Uh, I'm yeah. a little bit nervous because Spencer has hinted that he's going to make me guess what's going on, and then I'm just going to fail uh, on this podcast. So yeah, kind of nervous <laughs> about that. <laughs> so this case was submitted by a field training officer, and I think it highlights some of the unique situations that it's lupus. can find them. So it's, it's lupus. lupus. Yeah. Did I win? Somebody's been watching Dr. House. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So this call. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> this Fibromyalgia. Call, it, 
happens at about 16.30, so 4.30 p.m., in a suburban neighborhood, and a dual medic ambulance from a private ambulance company, as well as an ALS fire engine, are dispatched to a private residence for a 60s-year-old male reporting to be having chest pain and is spitting up blood. That's no good. Yeah. Blood's supposed to stay inside. I'm no scientist, but I think that's where it stays. (laughs) So before I go further into the call... I want to talk about the makeup of these of this particular ambulance crew. So is the lead medic on this Revlon, rig is Maybelline. Cover girl. The, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe it is Maybelline. That's maybe they were born with it. <laughs> I was, that was bad. I apologize. Oh, god damn it! <laughs> so the lead medic on this rig is actually a field training officer, and the second paramedic is a paramedic trainee with the company. And yeah. just to quickly clarify, a paramedic trainee is already a certified paramedic. Right. They already completed their paramedic school training, including their internship. Yeah. So what this is, is basically the state and some community college somewhere usually has said that, hey, like, you know, the information you have passed the test. This is just that phase where the company that they're going for wants to be like, hey, I know the state said that you're good, but I'm going to make sure that you're good. And also I'm going to kind of acclimate you to what to how we do things here. Because there's always different things like how do the radios work? What kind of ambulance do we drive? Where do we keep the equipment? Those kind of medical things. protocols. Exactly. Those are always different. Right. And all the companies I've ever worked, it's always been fucking different. Right. <laughs> so. Well, a lot of the paramedics going through FTO uh, training for the company are typically very green. In some cases, there are paramedics going through FTO who are actually better paramedics than their trainers. Oh, I've had that. Um, yeah, yeah. I've had like I, I've like I was an FTO for a brief period of time, and yeah, I I, I remember specifically one trainee that came in and was like, "Yeah, I've been uh, a paramedic in uh, Detroit uh, for the last five years." And uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen everything from like lynchings to gunshot wounds to a guy who was once torn apart by fish hooks, and, you know. And so it's like, oh, yeah. shit. Uh, well, Jesus. here we have two radios we have to listen to. Like that's <laughs> like that's all I got, you know. Uh, <laughs> and I'm nice. sitting there taking notes on how they do things, <laughs> right? Yeah, and not no, going I've... and not going to any bait shops with them. <laughs> I'm totally, yeah. <laughs> so. On this particular call, however, uh, the FTO is around a four-year paramedic, and their partner is a newly minted paramedic. Ooh. Um, Chris, what do you think about a four-year medic being an FTO? Oh, God. So if you – so for all the, the – I would say more of our loyal listeners out there, it sounds cheesy when I say that. But the four-year medic – so here's my thing about four-year paramedics. Four years is kind of that line – where it is, you've been a paramedic long enough to develop shortcuts where you can walk in and be like, oh, hey, it's pneumonia season. You're having trouble breathing. You've got some junk in your lungs. It's pneumonia. And nine times out of 10, you're right. But you haven't had enough calls under your belt to know, under your belt, but you haven't had enough calls under your belt to know that there's that one time out of those 10 where you will be dead wrong because what this actually is, is heart failure with pulmonary edema and your patient's going to be in cardiogenic shock here shortly. Like, yeah. And so at four years, like they've had enough calls to develop shortcuts, but they haven't had enough calls to see those shortcuts fail. Because again, like the shortcuts work nine out of 10 times. 
And until you have enough calls to see that one out of 10 time occur, you don't know how bad of a paramedic you actually are. So that's the problem with four-year medics. I will point out this though. Just because you're a medic at the four-year mark doesn't mean you suffer from this. Like it, it is based on the individual. For example, paramedics that listen to this show, they probably know better. But yeah, those yeah. that don't listen to EMS 2020, here's Oof. the thing. If you want to know. bastards. Exactly. If you were interviewing an FTO for a spot, like if you're a more experienced, like you're a supervisor, uh, just basically ask them, do you listen to EMS 2020? If they say no, next but don't even ask them any of the other qualifying questions. Just go next. And they'll be like, but nice. and just go next. <laughs> Look them dead in the eye and just get serious. Next. All right. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Don't we need names at this point? We haven't done oh, nicknames. Yeah. Sorry. I forgot to mention their names. The, yeah. the, the FTO medic is now officially dubbed Cheddar and his trainee is uh, now Provolone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Provolone hopes to one day be a Gouda paramedic. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, there's a finger snap there. Yeah, no, and thunderous is. applause. I'm imagining <laughs> a lot of applause for that next segment. That there. is uh, that is like like the mom spaghetti of this episode. Like, I'm a fan of Eminem, but the one line where he's like, there's vomit on his sweater already, that he goes, mom spaghetti. It's so stupid. That is, <laughs> like it makes Dude. sense for like like for that bar it makes sense but i mean for the rest of it it's just the you're, stupidest he's a great lyricist except for that one fucking line dude you just gotta lose yourself Not in the music in the moment God. move on move <laughs> all right, on all right. i will quit all this right. podcast so cheddar and provolone arrived to the residence to find uh, the fire department <laughs> keep going i'm sorry Cheddar and Provolone arrived to the <laughs> residence to find the fire department and patient standing in the driveway with the patient's spouse standing next to him. The patient is holding a very small, hard plastic <laughs> kid's cup and is connected to the fire department monitor. No one appears distressed. Everything looks calm. The patient is noted to be on a nasal cannula connected to the fire department's O2 bottle. Does he look calm uh, and ready to drop bombs? <laughs> but he keeps on forgetting. <laughs> As they approach the patient, (laughs) uh, the patient greets them with a polite nod, and uh, one of the fire medics steps away and gives a quick report. So the fire medic says, hey, guys, who's patient? And Provolone steps forward and says, it will be his. So the fire medic says, all right, uh, so this is soon-to-be dead guy. And by the way, that's my nickname, not theirs. I would hope so. Like, I would hope. It's pretty pretty fucking horrible. Hey, we know he's going to die, but casual... (laughs) Be cool, guys. He's standing right there. Uh, (laughs) So the fire medic says he's 60 years old and he's been having chest pain and some shortness of breath for the last hour and has also been spitting up small amounts of blood over that time period. His O2 saturation on room air is pretty low. He was 86% when we walked up. He's up to 90% with a nasal cannula at six liters per minute. Lung sounds are really diminished in the bases. He says he needs to go to blank hospital because his doctor says so. An editorial that. comment here. Blank hospital is basically on the other side of the city. Of it's a it good tw- a, it's a good 25 minutes with like no traffic. And in rush hour traffic, it's like an hour plus. And you said this calls uh, at 1630, so 430. Yeah. So, so we're entering gonna, rush hour. Yeah. We're, okay. Yeah, we're we're well into rush hour. Not great. Um 
Not great. Nope. So Cheddar interrupts and asks about a 12 lead, which pertinent question. Yeah. The fire yeah, medic says- chest pain, right? Exactly. Chest pain, uh, some shortness of breath and spitting up blood. And by the way, when I say spitting up blood, like imagine somebody like we've all seen like chewers in their spit cans. Like, sure. This is this is a guy who's basically like tobacco spitting his blood into a cup. Gotcha. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) So uh, uh, Cheddar looks inside and sees very bright red foamy blood. The patient spits up a very small amount of blood into the cup. So the ask about the 12 lead and the fire medic says, no, we haven't gotten there yet. We were actually talking about whether or not to use CPAP when you pulled up. Mm-hmm. We were thinking probably not since he's got the blood coming up. So Cheddar turns to the patient and asks, well, how much blood have you been spitting up? And the patient says, oh no, not that much. Probably uh, about one of these cups over the last hour. And the patient holds up the little blue plastic kid's cup. And this is like this was like the kid's cup of my youth, you know, like growing up. It was Which like is the, a long the, time ago. Is these things were fucking indestructible. There was more plastic in it than in a, you know, fucking all your plastic dinosaurs that you had in your collection, you nerd. It's like um, if I finally melted down my kids' toys, like I keep threatening I'm going to do, I'd make a yeah, cup out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then cup. turned it into like one cup. Yeah. That would be this cup. Yeah, like it, oh. it's just one of those classic plastic, hard plastic kids' cups. I'm kidding. I'm actually um, soft. Yeah, I would never threaten yeah. to melt down so, my toys. Okay, so Cheddar says, okay, so not a whole lot. And Cheddar says he felt actually quite a bit of relief in seeing that it was just a tiny amount of blood that was being spit up. And he guessed that the patient probably has only lost about maybe 80 mils over the last hour. Okay. Um, but Cheddar also agrees with the, fi- the, the fire medic that CPAP probably wouldn't be helpful here, given that the patient mm-hmm. would occasionally also have to take off the mask to spit up this blood. Um, and provolone asks, Hey, did you guys give aspirin because it's chest pain? And the fire medic says, no, given this bleeding, we withheld it. And, uh, then he reports the vitals from their monitor, which are heart rates, 102 blood pressures, 151 over 64. The respirations are 20 though. You know, like his sats are bad, but he's, they're non-labored. He's not working hard to breathe. There's no retractions, blah, blah, blah. SpO2 is 90% on six liters per minute nasal cannula. And again, the patient is in no distress. He's not diaphoretic. He's able to talk in full sentences. He ambulates well. He's managing the bleeding by spitting in the cup on occasion. And he looks pretty healthy for his age. Good. Okay. So, Yeah. So the patient is escorted to the ambulance. He climbs aboard, sits on the stretcher. He consents to a 12 lead, which, aside from the slight tachycardia, is unremarkable. Provolone asks the patient the OPQRST questions. And so the onset was one hour ago. Nothing provokes the pain, makes it better, makes it worse. The quality, the pain is described as a sharp pain in the center of his chest. Radiation, it's non-radiating. Severity, the patient rates at about a 4 out of 10. And time... The pain has increased over time. Okay. They also ask some GI questions like, all right, are you having any abdominal pain at all? Do you have any blood in your stool? Have you been like throwing up blood? And the patient, or like, have you felt nauseated? And the patient reports feeling some minor nausea, but denies vomiting. Lung sounds are listened to by provolone and are noted to be diminished in the bases, just like was reported with the fire department. And then prior to getting up front and driving, Cheddar asks the patient about hospital preference. So the patient says, I called my doctor and he says I need to go to blank hospital. So Cheddar steps in and points out that 
there's an alternative hospital, Blankety Blank Hospital, which is actually quite a bit closer. Clearly the in the same system as the other hospital, and they're both in the Blankety Blank system. They actually are. Yep. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yep. Method to my madness. Uh, the patient says, yeah, my doctor said that I need to only go to Blank Hospital. So that's where I need to go. So Treader shrugs and says, okay. And uh, yeah, the patient uh, has a medical history of hypertension, has recently undergone an aortic repair. He has no other significant medical history and takes medication for hypertension. He has no known drug allergies. So Provolone gets a quick 20-gauge IV, and then the (laughs) transport is initiated. So Chris, tell me what you think. Uh, What do you want to know? What's going on? I, um, yeah, so let's kind of, I'm going to back up just a little bit here, kind of where I, I guess like I'll go ahead and branch off to where I think where I would have gone a little bit different here. So sure. They talked earlier about doing CPAP. I'm not really sure why you wouldn't do CPAP in this case. And here's, here's my thought. I mean, there is some more stuff I want to know. I do want to know. Sure. I kind of, I kind of want to know like, like what it is doctors say a little bit more about like, why does he have to go to this hospital? Cause a lot of times patients will be like, Oh, I'm hoping to see my doctor there. And it's like, Hmm. well, you're not going to see your doctor there, but I'm kind of curious as to like, why, like, why is your doctor saying you have to go here? If his doctor actually really did say he needed to go there or if he's just hospital shopping, I, I don't know, but yeah, there's that too. Yeah. But here's kind of my problems with, with this call already is, um, I when they first brought up CPAP, I kind of thought that was the direction we were going to go because the blood he's spitting up is frothy and his oxygen saturations are low. Frothy blood comes from the lungs. Your blood doesn't get frothy anywhere else. Now they're describing it. I, I they did describe it as bright red, though, right? Yeah, it was bright red and frothy blood. Yeah, bright red. Yeah, bright red, frothy blood. That that comes from the lungs. Like if you've ever seen, like if you've ever gone to Starbucks and they frothed up your milk, they put they literally put a stick in there that just shoots air and makes it frothy. Like that's, that's how it fucking works. And you're not gonna get that out of the stomach. So in my mind, like I have someone with low SAO2 in uh, 90%, doesn't have the only thing that's kind of weird is he doesn't have a lot of history that would say like, oh, I have CHF that would cause, you know, some fluid in the lungs. But there's a lot of different things that could cause, I mean, he could have, maybe maybe now he has an MI because he is having chest pain. So to me, like, hey, your SATs are low. You've got frothy blood coming up. CPAP's appropriate. Now there's this whole thing about like, oh, he's spitting up. Like I have to take the mask, you know, off to spit up. Well, if it's coming from the lungs, remember CPAP, like you actually remember from our last episode, CPAP kind of has two things that it does. One, it opens alveoli and then keeps them open. So where when you exhale, they don't collapse because there's a constant pressure in there. But the other thing it does is it also provides pressure in the lungs to make the pressure gradient that fluid would need to otherwise cross the membrane a little bit greater. So you got fluid on one side of a membrane wanting to pass over. Well, if you put pressure on the other side, the non-fluid side of the membrane, it makes it hard for that fluid to come through. So yeah. putting CPAP on the guy, yeah, he might not have to spit up at all because the shit he's spitting up isn't coming out of his lungs anymore. And here's the other thing, because I'm guessing the main reason that they're, because it seems like they're kind of bouncing, like when they start talking about like aspirin, like they're kind of thinking like, oh, okay, like is he, is this frothiness from the lungs or is he vomiting? Like, is it coming from his GI? The reason I would say it's not a GI bleed is because one, the patient says he's nauseous, but he says he's not throwing up. 
When you're throwing stuff up, like if that was coming from his stomach, like he would be complaining of like cramping and feeling like he's throwing up. I mean, I can't say 100%. Okay, I guess I'll take it back. I can't say 100% sure that's what he'd be complaining about. But typically, that's what you see. And you don't see froth. Um, And here's the other thing is, all right, so you put the mask on, you put the CPAP mask on, and he does vomit. Fucking take the CPAP mask off. Like it's not... I think there's kind of this idea that, well, once we put the CPAP mask on, we can't take it off again. It's not true, dude. Like, put the CPAP mask on. And hey, if all of a sudden he doesn't have to spit up anymore and his stats come up, hey, you're probably right. If nothing happens to his stats and he's still trying to spit and the mask is a hassle, just fucking take it off. Like, there's, I don't see why you wouldn't start this guy on CPAP. You can just take it off if it doesn't work. So anyway, sorry to ramble on there. I mean, let's we can move on. But that's kind of my thoughts at this point. I mean, I would want to know why is he adamant about this faraway hospital? What was this doctor telling him? And I think that we should have tried CPAP prior to this point. Yeah. But anyway, moving on. So Cheddar gets up front and starts driving code one, no lights or sirens, through the suburb streets towards the highway that will eventually take them to their destination hospital. About 10 minutes into their drive, Provolone sticks his head up into the cab and asks Cheddar the following question. Hey, so the patient wants to sit up more and put his feet on the floor of the ambulance. Is that okay? Cheddar responds, um, sure. As long as he's still seatbelted to the stretcher, that's fine. Mm -hmm. So Provolone disappears back into the ambulance and the drive continues. Sweet. So we'll fast forward another 10 minutes. Provolone reappears, looking slightly annoyed. He says, he's telling me he wants to stand up. I told him he can't, but he's being pretty whiny about it. Ketamine. Sorry. (laughs) There you go. But I guess right. Cheddar affirms that the patient can't stand. He says, yeah, just tell him we're in a moving vehicle and that he needs to be seat belted in. And before Provolone disappears back into the back of the ambulance, Cheddar asks him, hey, is is everything okay? And Provolone is really reassuring. Oh, yeah, everything's fine. He's just having some anxiety. He's being anxious. Cheddar says, okay, vitals are good, though. And Provolone says, yep. And Cheddar says, oh, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, just tell him that he has to stay seated. So... We'll fast forward another 10 minutes. So just for those who are not keeping track at home, we're about 30 minutes into this transport now. And Cheddar is sitting in rush hour traffic, listening to NPR on quiet on the radio. (laughs) Good. (laughs) When there's a sudden and loud dinging from the ambulance control panel. And so he looks down and sees the alarm and the alarm says... O2 pressure. Okay. Thank God. For half a second, I thought I was going to say like door open or something like that. <laughs> would you can't blame me for that because at this point he's like, I want to stand up or like, like I want to sit up. I yeah. want to stand up. And now there's like an alarm ding. I thought you were about to say. Like, <laughs> and, and then the patient stepped out and uh, got hit by a train <laughs> and uh, that's where the call went weird. Yeah. Never would have guessed it. I told you. And I'm just saying, had they put CPAP on him, he'd be well oxygenated before he got hit by that train. And then you could RSI this patient instead of DSI. Oh, there you go. Boom. Uh, No, the alarm says O2 pressure. So Mm. Cheddar toggles the alarm acknowledgement button and uh, turns to the back and calls for provolone. 
He says, oh, I hey. can't say calls for provolone because now it sounds like he's at a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and he turns around and calls for provolone. <laughs> That's the cheese I want. I'm sorry. We only have Gouda. Oh, fuck. All me. right. So, <laughs> so Cheddar says, hey, what's going on? The oxalon. Oxygen alarm just went off. He doesn't off. open his mouth. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Provolone rolls his eyes and says, I put the patient on a non-rebreather because he's just being super bitchy and really anxious and saying he's having trouble breathing. So I'm just giving him some O2 to make him feel better. Cheddar, feeling concerned, asks, okay, okay how much oxygen are you using? And Provolone responds, 25 liters per minute. Why? And Cheddar, yeah, that's that was Cheddar's response. To make him feel like, better? 25 liters? Z- Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly the thing. Like, 25 liters a minute? Jesus, turn it down. Like, like why are you up that high? I've given, to- I've given anxiety oxygen before, too. Like, don't get me wrong. I've been like, oh, okay, well, here's some oxygen to help you with whatever problems in your head. But uh, sure. I, I usually don't do it at 25. Yeah, 25 is a little high for the, you know, like the, the touch of oxygen, you know, to, to yeah. yeah. So he, he he tells us, like, just go to 10 or 15. And then he goes like, what? I mean, like, does this guy even need it? And right. Provolone says like, all right, I'll turn it down. I'll turn it down. And then Cheddar is now kind of alarmed. He says like, is everything okay back there? Like, wh- how are the patient's vitals? And Provolone says, well, his heart rate's up a little. But other than that, he's fine. His O2 saturations are fine. And Cheddar feels unsettled, but ultimately, he doesn't take any action. His trainee is, after all, a paramedic, albeit a new one, and the vitals are reported to be unchanged. And Cheddar is also a fairly new FTO at this point, and he's kind of keen to avoid the trap of stepping in and, like, taking over someone's call unnecessarily. Hmm. And again, after all, the patient's vitals are reported to be essentially the same by a paramedic partner. Well, right. reported the same or really not reported because he didn't. He said they were the same. Basically, no. He the same. said it, he said everything's fine. He technically didn't say the same. That's <laughs> okay. those are two different words. That's keen observation there. <laughs> Astute observation. I don't know. That's that's my so, worry. Just going off the cuff here. They drive another fifteen minutes and they finally arrive at the ambulance bay for Blank Hospital. And Cheddar gets out, walks around to the back, and opens the door. And and Chris, have you ever read Calvin and Hobbes? Oh yeah, definitely. I actually I oh, have yeah. like a the I have like a box set of like three books. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, yeah I just I got it. a collection. Nice. I, do you remember the transmorgifier that Calvin had? Yeah, Absolutely. it's basically it, the transmorgifier was basically like a cardboard box that he labeled transmorgifier. <laughs> and what you did was like you could like put a person in it and like turn them into something else entirely. I, I think Calvin turned himself into a tiger with it. Um, the, the reason I bring this up is because this ambulance basically was a transmorgifier and that they put a patient who is alert, calm, in no distress had relatively normal skin. Actually, they had like great skin and great vital signs aside from their sort of shitty SPO2. And then they turned this patient into a sweaty, ashen, unable to stop moving, incredibly panicked patient. I thought you were going to say that the reason it was like a transmogrified because it wasn't really an ambulance. It was just a cardboard box labeled ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I'm glad like. 
I mean, I'm not glad it went this way because this apparently sucks, but I mean, it's a little better than, than what I was imagining. Yeah, this entire time, this was just two kids fantasizing. It's a dead man <laughs> in the back go. of their ambulance. So <laughs> Cheddar glanced at the monitor and saw that the patient had a heart rate of 140, sinus tack with occasional PVCs. Oh, the sats good. are in the low 90s on the non rebreather at 15 liters a minute, and the blood pressure is reported to be borderline low. Uh, this patient is barely able to stay on the stretcher and appears ready to just yeah. climb out of the fucking ambulance and claw their way into the ED. Right. So uh, Cheddar is shocked and they scramble to get this patient inside. So Chris like they had to chase him like as he was running in. Oh, they, I mean, they pulled him in on the stretcher because he, he I mean, he couldn't he looked like he wanted to get out and claw his way. But I think he probably went like. I don't have the fucking. I don't. I don't have. The, I don't have the life force in me left to do that. Every time I sit up, I have to go back down. Yeah. <laughs> so, Fuck. Chris, what do you think's going on with the patient? Um, I'm not a hundred percent. I know, man. I, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent certain. Um, I guess here's what I'm looking. At. So, like, so 140, like. Like VTAC 140 or like. Oh, yeah, that's no. sinus tack. Or sinus no, tack no, 140. Yeah, sinus um, I am not 100% sure. Like, I would still kind of maintain. I mean, because I guess, what do they mean by borderline low BP? Uh, that I don't know. That okay. was what was reported to me. And I, I, that, it's a fair question because, like, at the time I was like, oh, yeah, like, all right. So, like, maybe like around the 100s, around the, you know, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what borderline low is for this paramedic. So, okay. okay. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, even if we said 100, I guess it doesn't really help me a whole lot. Um, yeah, I'm not, because I'm looking at like a borderline low BP with like a heart rate of 140, and I start thinking like, like, just look at those vital signs isolated. I would start thinking things like hypovolemia. But this guy also has low sats after having his face blasted with oxygen. Uh, not low yeah. stats, but like low 90s and like PVCs. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be dead honest, man. I don't know. I don't yeah, know I mean, what's going on with this guy. Like, I can't really feel like I can like maybe his heart's <laughs> freaking out because he's hypoxic and that's why it's 140. But at the same time, like earlier, I was kind of thinking because my mind bounces back a little bit to the fact that his history has an aortic repair in it. But I don't know how that would necessarily factor in i mean i guess like could he be having heart failure plus an aneurysm hey, like i don't and you're in you're in good company because they also kind of like they also sort of had that thought or yeah. you know at least cheddar did was like Man, is this like an aortic thing but he also like he's like i i don't see how this adds up to that so the blood the, cough, the foamy blood off. is the foamy blood is what kind of I'm kind of locked in on because to me, like the low sats and yeah. foamy blood say like we have heart failure with fluid backing up, but yeah. And this is like bright, bright red, which is weird because normally that's pink. Normally like, like it's a pretty, like I've seen it a few times in my career and it's a pretty pink stuff. So bright red is a little bit weird. Yeah. This is, this is, as it was told to me, it was, it was like Frank blood. I'll say I don't fucking know. 
Is that, a, yeah. is that an acceptable answer? I That's don't know. That's a super acceptable answer. And here's what happened. So the patient was taken into a large <laughs> ED room and a team descends on him. They administer anxiolytics, pain medications. They put him on BiPAP. Boom. They start large bore IVs. I'm taking credit and, there, dude. I'm taking a little bit of credit. I wanted this yeah. guy on CPAP. They put him on BiPAP. That's a, pos- that's a positive pressure intervention. Boom. All right. All right. Yeah. You know what? For the win. It's yours. Perfect. Uh, One of the nurses asked the doctor, hey, is this the guy we're waiting on for the surgeon? And as it turns out, yes, he is. (laughs) This patient was actually going into an emergent surgery for his aortic aneurysm that had recently been repaired, but was now failing in a very catastrophic way. Wow. So So is the blood in his lungs related to this, related to his aortic aneurysm? Is that a thing? So that is, as it turns out, is a thing. And that seems to be the case here. Now, I tried my best to come up with some explanation of how this happens. So, but but really Um, quick. So so what you're telling me, just to make sure, you're telling me there's there's a a mechanism. There's some disease, a mechanism out there that will cause an aortic aneurysm to like what? Bleed into the lungs? Does it back up? Like what is it? It's it's actually, this is, this is what this is what happened and by the way this is super super rare um i i don't know how many cases there are i read a couple case reviews and i think one of the ones that were was uh more legible to somebody of my low medical stature (laughs) um basically said like yeah so in this one patient what they had was they had this you know this false lumen that had pushed up against lung tissue. It had ballooned out. The aneurysm basically had ballooned out and caused like an ulcer between the wall, the lumen of the, you know, the false lumen uh, outer wall of the blood vessel and the lung tissue. And basically just every, you know, every contraction of the heart shot a little bit of blood uh, right up into that lung. Wow. Um, so I, I don't know that that's the case for all of them, but there is, in fact at least some plausibility of like a mechanism for that happening. So that, yeah. So that, that blood is basically it's, um, Oh God, Bra- Braveheart. Yeah. Just freedom. And then shooting out towards the mouth. Found towards a way the light. to get out of here. <laughs> I know how we're doing it, boys. <laughs> we're breaking out. Yeah. So, uh, that's what it was. He was the param. you know, like both these paramedics looked at uh fresh blood. Oh, shit. Fresh heart blood. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I wouldn't have guessed that either. So, yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I, so, moving on to, I think, some of the learning points for this call. I think this is one of those perfect storm situations. Like, it is. Um, uh, uh, are you familiar with, like, of course you're familiar with it. The Swiss cheese model yeah. of errors. Yeah. So, like, what yeah. the Swiss cheese is, like... So in any given company, you usually have like several policies or procedures that prevent you from making a mistake or, or rather they prevent, they're designed to prevent a bad thing from happening. And each one of those policies or procedures is like a layer of Swiss cheese. In other words, it's there, but there's holes in it. And every once in a blue moon, you'll fuck up in a very special way that you'll manage to just like hit the hole in every single piece of Swiss cheese. And yep. so that's just kind of like, yeah, that's kind of what happened here is there are procedures and protocols in place, 
but they all have holes in them somehow. Like you can't, you can't make a policy or procedure or protocol without a hole in it somewhere for some patient. And yep. these fuckers just hit every hole in every single one of these. Yeah. And so like, let's, let's kind of break that down. Let's look at what happened on this call. Yeah. So we had a seriously critically acute patient. Very true. Who didn't clue the two medics into the fact that he was actually sick, probably because he didn't look sick at the yeah. onset. Yeah, he didn't and, really say shit either. Yeah, he he didn't. Uh, additionally, no one really seemed to be curious about why the doctor said to take him to that hospital. And I think you have a fair point. Like, that, I have heard, you know, the old lady insist, like, my doctor says I need to go to this hospital. Or, like, I need to go to this hospital because that's where my doctor is. Yeah. So... I think I would all I like I would also there's a chance that I would also hear that. But again, there's a lot going on here. Like no one was seemed curious enough about like why is this patient spitting up bright red frothy blood? You know? That I mean, we have a trainee who is with the patient who also seems to have failed to recognize that his patient was getting much worse. Right. And the final Swiss cheese piece is the FTO appears to have failed to recognize that he actually needed to step in and intervene. So it's true. How did all of these things happen? Because in a good QI session, we don't want to just, we don't want to look at like, we don't just want to look at what happened and yeah. then make determinations from there. We really do want to understand why <clears throat> these things happened. <clears throat> Understanding why mistakes happen, um, it helps us to recognize the pathways that lead to those mistakes. I really want to caution everyone to have a little empathy um, for these two medics, especially the new guy. It's it's would be just incredibly easy to write off these two medics as like bad or lazy medics, but ultimately th that actually is lazy in and of itself because yeah, it, it doesn't give us. It, it's just like oh, don't be lazy. Here's well here here's kind of my point to that. Yeah. Nine times, like here's the thing. A lot of times the things that separate um like these paramedics from every other paramedics is luck alone. There's exactly. a lot, you know, there's a lot of lazy medics out there. Like I'm not I'm not saying the majority of medics are lazy, but I'm saying they are out there. And nine nine times out of ten, when you're lazy, you kind of get away with it. Like nothing yeah. bad happens. But the problem is is that a lot of times someone will be lazy on the patient they should have been. And we like to act like, oh, that's a lazy paramedic. They should have caught that. But it's like, yeah, maybe they should have, but would you? Yeah. Like, would you have? Like, I mean, come on. The guy came out and started requesting a faraway hospital. A lot of us go into that, well, this is bullshit mode because obviously if you're really hurt and you'd want the closest hospital, that kind of stuff. And you start getting lazy. So don't be so quick to judge. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I'm guessing that neither of these two medics came to work that day intending to royally fuck up a call. I mean, I, I mean, usually look want to at fuck the, up one, but, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. get the first one out of the way early. That's mm -hmm. my rule when I show up for ambulance shifts. But it's 1630, uh, so they've already had their daily fuck up. So really, by, <laughs> by now, they should be raring to go. Exactly. I, consider this. Like, you have one guy in training who undoubtedly wants to pass their FTO phase and work as a full-time partner on that on the ambulance and the other guy is a bona fide fto with the company who likely has a strong history of being a competent enough paramedic that the company trusts them to work with like the newest paramedics yeah. and newest emts so i mean i think the only way we could be like well don't be those two is if like 
they had showed up to work drunk. And that was like the whole point of this call. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And then they uh, went back to their uh, rig, split the rest of their fifth. And uh, that was the, that was it. <laughs> uh, and that's really like at that point, the only advice you could give is don't be these idions. Like, don't yeah, be, don't these be guys. those guys. Uh, <laughs> but only bring a pint to work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, don't get greedy. <laughs> <laughs> but where did the training go wrong though so i think i think that there are two big items that the trainee um provolone provolone tra- yeah provolone yeah trainee. provolone i yep. think i think there are two big items that the provolone missed and so there were some missed opportunities to gather more information like i like i mentioned earlier like when you asked me like right off the bat like hey well, like what do you think what do you want to know i was like cpap which oh, by the way i wasn't alone on that thanks er um and like, what is this doctor? Like, why are we going to this hospital? Why does this doctor want this? Um, the lesson does apply to both medics, but the yeah. opportunities to gather more information were there. So spitting up bright red blood while having chest pain, that should probably garner a lot more questions than what we're actually asked. Uh, yep. While you're spitting up frank red blood doesn't have its own protocol page, by the way, that's not in there. And the amount <laughs> he was spitting up was super small neither crew members seem to do anything useful with that information or really dig to find out more <clears throat> or be like, you know, like, wait, you talked with the doctor about this and they said to go to blank hospital. Why? What did your doctor say about this? Dude, for sure. And that question, yeah, like that question alone might've answered everything they needed to know uh, and set them up to recognize the severity of the situation. Like, I think, yeah, I think I, I honestly, I think it was kind of the key to the call, to be honest. So, yeah. So yeah. Like, ha, so, Go ahead. I, was, I think so. How do we know in when we're in those situations where we like need or want like where we really need to get more information? Like how do we because, know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think these guys recognize that in this situation. So how could how could we avoid making that mistake? Yeah. I mean, for. For me, I think you gotta you gotta start looking at like look at the data you're gathering and try and look for when it adds up. So versus when it doesn't add up. So like 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 think of like a diabetic emergency for an example. You show okay. up, you find the patient, and like the CBG monitor just says low, which for the ones I use means like less than twenty, which is yeah. shit. Uh, you give them some IV dextrose, they wake up and they want to refuse. If you were to ask what happened and then they inform you that their insulin, they took their insulin, forgot to eat, you ask a few more questions, but ultimately you have an explanation that adds up, like everything yeah. makes sense. But what if they came back and said, hey, I didn't take my insulin? Or, oh. you know, I ate and then I took a normal amount of insulin, like everything else was normal. Now things aren't adding up. And you need to investigate more. So in this case, spitting up bright red blood and chest pain without any trauma, BT Debs, doesn't exactly go hand in hand. I can't like I don't I don't know any cardiac protocol that uh, cardiac chest pain protocol that mentions hemoptysis or at least hemoptysis like this. Uh, so that sort of finding right there should warrant some more exploration. Things that makes total yeah, sense. Things didn't so- happen. Yeah, so like if you're in a situation where it's just you're like, uh, man, I've got a lot of pieces that don't seem to fit together, it's it's sort of on us to try and figure out exactly. how to make them fit together. You can't just leave the puzzle unsolved. And I don't know if you've ever walked through a nursing home before and seen those half-solved puzzles that they have all over the place. But you oh, should I naturally, stop. yeah, you stop. I and stop solve and finish them. 
<laughs> like, We're running no, out no, of color. No, 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 no. The stroke can wait, damn it. <laughs> I have a corner piece. You're going to be sitting there like doing, running a code. Like, all right, you on chest compressions, you're going to be bagging. You two got airway. I want you on the monitor. You go ahead and solve for corners first. I'm going to go ahead and get edges. And I want you to go ahead and get an exit stat strategy, okay? All right. And then go like that's, that's where we're gonna go. And there's um, only and there's only you and your partner on the scene. It's <laughs> a lot of just imaginary people you're talking about. Uh, so here's the thing though. My second point though, uh, yeah. the trainee missed the signs that their patient was getting worse. Um, and I say missed lightly. The patient was increasingly anxious throughout the transport. The patient's heart rate was increasing. The patient's skin was changing. And look, I doubt the medic didn't see those. I don't think he was completely oblivious to that. But what I'm yeah. betting, I'm betting he wasn't sitting on his phone like playing Angry Birds. Well, I mean, I mean, Angry Birds is a really good game. But I'm, <laughs> but also, okay, I'm betting he wasn't sitting there playing Angry Birds and ignoring his patient. Uh, and we know yeah. for a fact. Uh, that he was paying attention because he kept popping up to talk to Cheddar. So something was alarming him to some yeah. degree. So he Good absolutely point. saw those things happening, but it didn't amount to any actual items for him. Why is that? And this is the lesson that is absolutely worth exploring because this is the thing that can easily happen to all new medics in the field. And that's really going to come down to there's, there's kind of a pressure to perform. I, and this is where I think the empathy comes into play here. Right. Because like, let's put ourselves in the shoes of this new medic. And we're taking a lot of presumptions here. I have no idea whether or not this is actually how this new medic felt. But this sort of adds up. Yeah. You show up to – so, you know, we're this guy or you're, you're this guy. You show up to the house of a guy who's spitting up blood who actually looks remarkably okay. Yeah. But, you know, you're on edge because this is going to be your patient and, well, this is kind of a weird call. And – but you're, you're looking around and no one else with any experience seems to be concerned about like this presentation. Yeah. Uh, the, the fire department uh, people are calm and your partner, your FTO partner is also calm. So you're like, OK, uh, patients having some chest pain, I guess we'll kind of just treat that. Uh, so, you know, you ask about aspirin, you ask your chest pain questions and do the chest pain assessment. And then you think like, well, you know what? Like. If I'm wrong, my FTO will probably catch on, like, and they'll just ask more questions uh, if I miss any. And the FTO asks a couple questions, but really it's about destination. And he doesn't seem sure. concerned at all. And uh, plus, he's totally okay with going to this farther hospital. So if you're the if you're this new guy, you're probably going like I guess the patient is fine and my unease just be just must be me overthinking this patient um and you abs don't you you absolutely don't want to let on that you're uncomfortable because you oh, don't want to no. look like you don't want to look incompetent you don't want to look like an incompetent medic to the fucking guy who's you literally like grading you for the job you right. know, like that's that's how it feels a little bit when you're especially with certain FTOs. Um, right. So, you know, you're OK. You're just like, all right, I'll just it's I'll be a little uncomfortable, but this is fine. And so the transport starts. And at first it's going great. You know, th 
things are good. The patient's sitting there, but then the patient starts getting a little grumpy and they start making these like odd requests. Like they want to sit upright and they want to put their feet down on the floor. And frankly, you're okay with sitting them upright, but you're not really sure whether they should be sitting up and having their feet on the floor because like you're kind of new to the company. So you tell them no a little bit, but then they like the patient pushes back. They really want to put their feet on the ground and now it's kind of like, all right, like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll bother my FTO and make sure that like, <laughs> make sure that I won't be getting in trouble or like you bother the FTO and make sure you won't be getting in trouble for letting your patient have their feet down. And then it's sort of like, why is this patient so anxious? Because everyone seems to think they were stable. Maybe this is like, maybe this is an anxious person that probably could be it. Like don't often, don't all paramedics often talk about like, Ugh, that fucking anxiety patient. Ugh, God. You know, like, I had to sit there and babysit. Like, everybody has a story like that. And maybe, maybe this is that. You know, like, and to his credit, like, the vitals probably still looked, like, probably close to the same. Like, the heart rate might have gotten a little high there, especially at the end. But, like, I'm, you know, so... And then it's going like, I guess I'll just give them a little more or two to help deal with the anxiety. So I just like, I can totally see this poor guy just sort of like stuck in this line of thinking. And, you know, like there's all these competing sort of values. Well, yeah. and yeah, and I agree hundred percent. I mean, it, it just comes down to like, <laughs> I get this can sound dumb, but you want to be cool. You know, like nobody else needs to be freaking out. You don't want to be the guy that freaks out because nothing says I don't know what I'm doing, like freaking out over nothing. And so if everyone else says, seems to think it's nothing, you kind of want to be in the same boat. And here's yeah. the thing. The thing is, when you first get into the field, in whatever capacity, EMT, paramedic, uh, most of y'all have a good working book knowledge. You got... Uh, some entry level understanding of how of some of the physiology behind the common conditions that we get called for, and they know most of the treatment algorithms. But what they lack when you're new to the field, when they're new to the field, is they don't have a lot of the actual clinic experience to fall back on. And there's a difference in knowing the signs of an acutely ill patient and actually being able to recognize those signs in patients in their context. And it takes time and experience to build up that skill set. Exactly. Like this was totally me when I was new, I'd come across whatever like weird presentation and like recall it being a thing in one Mm. of the books. And then because it's medicine that we're dealing with, uh, this is like, I'd be like, hold on. Is this actually the thing that I read about? Like, is this, is this the presentation? Right. Or am I overreading this? And this is like something else entirely. I, I mean, there's just so much stuff in this field that depends on context. And this is absolutely human trait. Like the trainee fed the trainer. Everything is fine answers because they wanted to appear in control. Like if you think back to our amputee with an AMI um, episode, which is one of our first episodes we put out uh, back yeah. in May, I guess we haven't been on that long. We've just been, you know, doing so well. Uh, but <laughs> it's one of those uh, episodes we put on back in May. But you had someone there who was also under pressure to perform. They were a new EMT basic and they started saying things that maybe weren't necessarily true, 
but oh, they kind of yeah, gave the appearance right but they kind of gave the appearance that everything was chill and that this person had knowledge in, in their job and that's kind of what happened here but on a different level the trainee was feeding the trainer everything is fine answers because yeah. they wanted to have that same level of control and competency and in this case i do believe the trainee actually convinced themselves that everything was fine <clears throat> yeah. And they want to appear confident and competent to their trainer. So yeah. uh, a lot of people do this. We don't want to admit that we, we don't want to admit that we don't know what to do uh, or that we're lost, even if we are totally lost. And so For a sure. lot of this comes down to some confirmation bias. And you start kind of like in our last episode, you kind of start grabbing onto the one or two things that confirm what you really want to believe. And you want to believe this patient is fine because that's how your FTO acted. That's how everyone else on scene acted. So I'm going to hang on to the fact that, hey, SATs are 90. I've seen them worse. And I'm going to ignore the fact that SATs are 90 with 25 liters per minute peeling the skin off their face. Like that's, (laughs) like I'm going to ignore that part of it. And that is essentially confirmation bias. It's when you hang on to that one thing that confirms what you believe and you ignore everything else. And here's the other thing. EMS can be really ego-driven. Uh, there are some big egos in EMS, and we're constantly oh hearing stories. Yeah. I mean, we're constantly hearing stories from paramedics we respect about those incredibly complex calls, how they got the tube, how they wrestled the combative psych patient. They got the IV when everyone else failed. Everyone wants to be that clinician who just kicks ass. Like, you roll in, you seem to be able to roll with every punch, like every little wave in the ocean, you just <laughs> surf, you know? For sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, this medic might have fallen into that same trap. He might not have uh, said that he was uncomfortable with the situation for fear that his partner, a partner, again, who, by the way, is evaluating whether or not this medic gets to pay his rent this month, um, uh, (laughs) would think less of him. He doesn't want that partner to think less of him, and I get that. He might have felt like he needed to maintain some semblance of being in control, even though he wasn't at all in control of the situation and was probably sitting back there terrified especially towards the end when his anxious, air quotes, uh, yeah. patient really started looking like shit. Uh, but at that point, he also might not be sure that he's, uh, he also might not be sure he's wrong. Like if he really hasn't experienced a really sick patient before, you know, and he yeah. doesn't want to admit that he might be wrong either. Yeah. So, and yeah. here's the thing, like this, this happens any field, any occupation, ours is no different. And it doesn't just happen to new medics. Older and wiser medics continuously fall into this trap too. Because like, there's all those things like, "Hey, you've been doing this long enough. You should be cool. Like, you should be like, you should be like mellow, and everything should be fine." You know, and so yeah. you don't want to act like a trainee, for example. Uh, it's like the Wizard of Oz. Like sometimes we're afraid to show just how human we actually are to our partners and peers. Uh, I- how sometimes we're just fucking clueless too. You know, like we gotta all be clueless. dude. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. afraid. Yeah. We're afraid to ask for help or get second opinions because we think it might make us look dumb or incompetent. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, how do you get around that? I guess. I, I think here's, here's what I've always tried to do. Like one, if you're a new EMT or medic, just accept these truths. And the first is like one, you are new. There is just so much that you haven't experienced yet. And there is just so much to learn. So 
embrace that moment. Like ask all the questions, pull your partners aside, get their opinions on treatments. If you're not sure, even if you are sure, ask anyway, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you want to ask questions and learn as much as you can because that's how you get to be better, you know, and make that sacrifice now, you know, embrace being new and feeling dumb now and just learning all you can so that in the future you can be that paramedic, you know, that guy who seems to intuitively, that, that person who seems to intuitively know what to do in any situation. And here's the thing, um, like, like when you're new, like it's permissible to ask dumb questions. Like this is the time to sound stupid. Like even if you are, like I'm not going to tell you you'll never sound stupid because you, you fucking might. But you know what? Now is the time it's okay to sound stupid because if you still have these questions later on, then you will be that paramedic and not in a good way. You'll be that paramedic that really should know better. So ask it now because chances are your FTO is way more open to your questions than you think they are. Yeah. So just and ask the questions now. And so all the new people turn off the podcast right now because now I'm going to talk to the paramedics and EMTs who have been around a longer time. I think you just turned our, told our whole audience to just shut it off. <laughs> like, anyway, that, that might be the case. Maybe. Uh, so it's just us talking to each other. Uh, yeah. Here's the thing. Uh, realize that that medic who intuitively knows everything is just a big fucking lie. It's a myth. There will never, like no one will ever be that guy because we all unfortunately picked medicine as a career and medicine says you will forever and always be undereducated with just an insurmountable amount of shit to learn. And there is no safe place. Uh, Even the best among us, we could rock out just some crazy complex call and just fumble fuck our way through the next one. Uh, Same day. There's so I, I think the same things apply. If you have dumb questions, just fucking ask them, ask for help, be humble. Ultimately, like, I think that's the thing is like, just remain humble and strive to learn. And that, that goes such a long way. And we truly believe that. Like one of our Instagram followers recently, like I said, Hey, like they're brand new to the field. Like what advice can you give us? Can you give me going forward? And we just responded with like, keep learning. Like, don't, don't stop learning. Like keep like the paramedics that stop learning are obvious because they're the ones that suck going forward. Um, I just say like embrace being human and you know, like engagement is more valuable than you appreciate. Like asking questions and asking like, and, and following up on like, Hey, what if we had done this differently? Or what did, what about like this other treatment plan? Or, you know, what if the patient had done this? Like if you pester your FTO all day with questions like that, like they will love it. I mean, like let them eat, you know, go to the bathroom and all that stuff and like enjoy their like sip of coffee. Or just follow them in the restroom and ask questions. They love that (laughs) too. (laughs) Go to the, like stand behind them when they're in the urinal. Maybe help. You know, like, uh, but <laughs> speaking of the FTO, though, let's yeah. to try and move back into some more, um, you know, what what happened <laughs> on the call. We got a little uh, little out there. All good information. Uh, but sure. It started, we started to show that we had a heart. So let's let's get back to some of our stuff. Um, yeah. So the FTO does share some blame in this, though. It's not just on the trainee. Uh, I know they didn't want a micromanager take over the patient's call and I get that, but they missed some key opportunities to step in and not let a patient die and uh, recognize the situation has changed. So what do you think? Like, how do you mean? 
Well, okay. So, well, for example, he asked, what are the vitals? And he didn't get the answer to the actual question he asked. Yeah. He got, the vitals are fine. He should have been like, no, what exactly are the vitals? And that's actually true in EMS a lot, whether you're talking to your patient or your partner. When you ask a question, when you want, when you're asking a question, you want an answer, get that answer. And that's not what happened here. Well, he should, he should have been like, okay, yeah, you're saying they're fine, but what are the vitals? Because I can guarantee you, if that FTO was driving up front and the guy was like, everything's fine. He goes, yeah, but what are the vitals? Well, SATs are 90%, you know, after the non-rebreather has been put on and his blood pressure is borderline and his heart rate's up. The FTO would have been like, yeah, so I'm going to turn the lights and the siren on and we're going to get to where we're going a little bit faster. Like that would have changed yeah, some things. exactly. And so he wasn't really curious enough uh, with the evidence that was given to him. So like- why does the patient want to suddenly stand up? Like, why is this? Oh, yeah, that's that's a really good point, man. Does it, Yeah, I mean, agitation is a big, big clue to a lot of different problems out there. Some of those being hypoxia, some of them being hypotension. Like, agitation is a problem. And, and does and it make sense in the given context? Exactly. That was the point I was just going to bring up, which is like, yeah, like, this patient didn't seem, like, anxious on scene. So why is this, like, what changed? Something exactly. changed. And here's so. kind of my final point to this whole thing, though. Like, that feels a little bit tuned out, I think, because I think a lot of people do this. Just because you're driving doesn't mean that you're no longer part of the team. Okay, you still need to know what's going on. Like, you wouldn't accept these general kind of BS answers if you were, like, running a code on scene. So don't accept it any other time. Driving is an intervention just like starting an IV, okay? It is a thing you're doing that's affecting the patient. But let's say you were on airway during a code and all of a sudden someone says, well, something bizarre is coming up. And you're like, hey, wait, what's going on? And they just said, everything's fine. You'd be like, what the fuck? Like, that would be the weirdest thing. If you were on a call, like drilling an IO and all of a sudden someone kind of mumbles, you know, oh, the blood pressure's there or something like that. Or like, or well, hey, there's a pulse. <laughs> you're like, hey, there's a pulse now. You'd probably be like, hey, wait, what? And they looked at you and said, everything's fine. You'd be like, that's fucking weird. It's fucking weird when you're driving too. It doesn't change anything. Like you guys need to understand that you don't get to check out just because you're in the front of the ambulance. So stay engaged yeah. uh, no matter what. If something weird is going on in back, ask. Now given, please pay attention to the road. That is your primary goal. Or if you're on a code, please pay attention to the IO or the airway you're doing. But if you do observe something that is odd, you're still part of the team. You don't get to check out. So anyway, what's some final points? Let's wrap this baby up. All right. All right. I think that's fair. Um, I, I really like the point you made uh, about, you know, like, hey, once you make a decision about something like you, you can change your mind. Oh, you know, like, like with so, the CPAP? Like, yeah, like CPAP. Yeah. You, you said like, yeah, like CPAP, who knows? It might have been really beneficial here. It might have gotten complicated on the call. No idea. But like if the team had decided to trial CPAP and it went badly, then like, you know, just uh, take the shit off of them. <laughs> like, yeah. No one's going to be like. Uh, nope, that stays on as the like blood <laughs> fills the mask and the patient starts like making gagging noises like, nope, nope, nope. He has to wear it. Boop. We, we decided. You're done, sir. I mean, like, I, I, I can understand like not wanting to do like aspirin, for example, because you can't like take it out once you give it. Sure. You know, like that I understand. But like C CPAP, I mean, it literally has an on off button. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally just stop it. <laughs> And, you know, like, there, there's also things like, you know, like, 
nothing says that like the patient can't change. Like likewise, like if sure. you if you think your patient is fine, like that's totally fine. But five minutes later, like shit might have changed. You know, like humans do that. Injuries are often a dynamic process, and sometimes like you have a process that can occur within a few minutes, or sometimes it occurs over say a 40 minute drive to blank hospital. And I like your point about like how confirmation bias plays here. Like confirmation bias, like often means that we decide an answer, like right Mm -hmm. off the bat, we have a question, we know the answer, it comes right to our head. It's the first thing. And then we look for all the supporting evidence for that answer. And then we just unconsciously stick to that answer. And then and, we, and, and more to that point, we ignore evidence to the contrary, just, just we, to make yeah. that clear. And it's not a conscious thing. This is an unconscious bias that happens, that yeah. it literally happens to, it happens to, to, to Chris, it happens to me. It's really, Less it's to just me our than natural, Spencer, but it does happen, yeah. And that's our natural, like, thought process. Like, that is how our brains are constructed, like, to the, the how thought works for humans. Um, and so like, yeah, like it makes sense that the medic thought the patient wasn't sick based on all his scene findings and like, and then just sort of found themselves unconsciously downplaying all the findings that might indicate otherwise. And so one of the ways that we fight this is that we introduce the, that out of change that things do like things can change. And it's okay to say, like, hmm, I think things are changing, and maybe this guy is sicker than he was five minutes ago. And, like, to do that, I love using, like, OODA loops. Are you familiar with OODA loop, Chris? I am, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's – OODA loop, by the way, for those who aren't um, in the know, welcome to the know. (laughs) It's wonderful in here. It's warm. Uh, OODA loop stands for observe, orient – decide and act. And so like 10, an example of how this would work is like 10 minutes into this trip, an OODA loop might've gone something like this. Like, okay, I observe that the patient is now mildly anxious and is requesting to sit up more and put their feet on the floor. I notice that they're more tachycardic. And now I'm going to orient those observations to these known facts. Like, okay, the patient have, is having chest pain, is spitting up bright red blood, and seems to require supplemental O2 to maintain a good, like, SpO2. So I have to consider those, like, the things that I observed in the context. You know, like, so possible considerations are, like, maybe he's becoming more hypoxic. Maybe there's signs like of increasing blood loss, both of which would explain those findings. And then you decide to try a treatment like, okay, so you know what? It might still just be anxiety. Maybe the patient is just like they don't like being in a small box or something. So like we could try and, you know, like coach them down. We could also try and increase like O2 delivery and you get to consider all these actions and then you just do an action And then later, 10 minutes after that, you just OODA loop again. You observe any changes. You orient those changes to the context of this patient and their, you know, like the the things that have been going on. And then you decide the next step to take. And then you act on that. So OODA loop is really good 
I, I, you know, like I think it helps break away our brains from that stressed emotional response style thinking that like we can all get into on oh, calls, yeah. you know, like when we're surprised, when I'm like uncertain, when I'm like, when I'm feel like I'm out of my element, like a call like this would totally throw me. Cause I'd be like, like, where the fuck is this blood coming from? Like what the, what is going on? Why is there bright red blood coming? Like I would be really uncomfortable. Um, yeah. uh, like that takes me out of my like cognitive, like, okay, I can be calm and cool about this and puts me into this, like, Oh my God, I need to figure out what's going on because I don't know. Like it takes out that and like how my brain works when I'm uncertain. Um, uncertainty totally makes me like feel stressed. Um, and so OODA looping just helps me kind of think about it in a more cognitive fashion. Um, rather than letting me like make those like gut stress mind decisions. Yeah. Um, and I think it also just helps remember that like patients can also be dynamic, that their conditions can change. So, so real, yeah. So real quick. So um, I would like to close with how does this call, like how would this call have gone perfectly? That's my question to you. So I have a question for you then Spence. How does okay. this call go perfectly? Like how is this call run well, I think I think it was ran I think it was ran great right up until you know like it when even when they're in the ambulance like it was ran great right until they decided to just leave without okay. getting more information and I think there were opportunities in route that could have been followed up on and they just they didn't I think where they went wrong was they they stopped asking questions they didn't follow up on the doctor the you know the doctor's phone call yeah um here's what i think this call would have looked like if run perfectly like in the perfect world that doesn't exist yeah here's what i think this call would have looked like i think what would have happened would we would have been on scene the moment they're like yeah my doctor wants me to go to go to this hospital um here's what you can do there that right away is going to trigger some stuff. Like if all of a sudden you ask like, okay, like first of all, like what kind of doctor, what hospital and why? And they're like, oh, it's blank hospital. It's a surgeon. I have an aortic aneurysm that's failing. Like that alone, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, fuck. Like that's a different call. And from the get-go, you now have kind of a different idea of what's going on. And here's what you can do right away. Now that you know that there's a failing aortic aneurysm and they have this weird bright red blood coming out of their lungs, here's the next thing you can do. Call them. You can call OLMC or you can call the hospital you're going to and get a hold of somebody. And you can start saying like, hey, like, because here's the thing. I'm going to tell you honestly, dude, like, if, like as as much with the information they had, I think CPAP was warranted. If they had sure. more information, though, because I don't honestly know enough about this really bizarre mechanism where your aorta bleeds into your lungs to tell you if CPAP would have helped or hindered. I have no idea. Uh, for all I know, the pressure is going to go through that weird false lumen and then blow the aorta wide open, wide open. Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it helps keep blood in the right spot and doesn't cause that problem. I have no idea. But what you can do is now that you know there's a surgical team waiting for this guy and that he's probably reported the symptoms he's had to them, that's why they yeah. want him in there, you can call and get advice. Be like, hey, I am picking up this guy, which, by the way, the surgeon should have called 911. We, that happens all the time. Doctors will call 911 on behalf of patients and and say, 
this guy that's needs valid. an ambulance to go in there. And I think that's a step that was, I mean, that's kind of out of the scope of our podcast, but I mean, like, fucking A, guys. Like, don't just tell the dude to call 911 and get here. Because now you're <laughs> yeah. relying on him to accurately relay these very complex findings to a dispatcher to then accurately really relay those to us. Like, that's dumb. But yeah, I think the way this call goes perfectly is you get in touch with this guy's physician after he tells you that's where he's going, and then you go to that hospital. Uh, even with, I think there's probably a lot of people out there that are like, oh, shit, they should have gone code three to the nearest. That I would disagree with. I think this is one of those cases, just like a trauma center, where you'd go code three to a farther away center because it's a trauma center. Oh, going, yeah. Yeah, going code three to a surgical team that's ready to perform an, uh, an aortic repair. Uh, don't go there. Oh, you mean? But like, the, definitely go there. The community center? Yeah, you know, the, the community <laughs> hospital, like yeah. that's just kind of down the street. Like they don't have like the the aortic, yeah. the, the cardiothoracic surgeon just like hanging out with like ready. Exactly. Like, and here's the thing. It's his cardiothoracic surgeon that probably was the one that fucked the repair up in the first place. Who knows exactly where he's going back into, which like, actually I don't want to. Maybe he didn't fuck it up. Maybe life is I don't life. Know. And yeah, it's like, ah, oh, man, I wonder where that scalpel went. Yeah, Shit. exactly. I knew I was missing something. Well, now I can get it back. Sweet, that's my lucky scalpel. Let's get him in here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to EMS 2020. We're going to be on again next week, Wednesdays, as always. We should have, we may have, I think we're going to have Dr. Seitz with us uh, to talk about a super controversial topic. Um, it is something going to be so like, great. Oh, God, it is. It's something that every paramedic does. Uh, or, everyone's going to hate us. Or has had a thought on, oh, yeah, everyone's going to hate us for this. And we love it. Uh, but yes. anyway. I grow on your anger. Yeah, exactly. We just absolutely love this. But anyway, guys, thanks again for listening. Please visit us on social media. You can find us at Facebook at EMS20 slash 20. We're on Instagram at EMS 2020 show. And you can email us, email us at EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. Uh, with that, Spence, if you could just mom spaghetti this show away, that would be. Oh yeah, dude, <laughs> totally. Uh, knees are weak. Palms are sweaty. <laughs> nope. Cutting it off. <laughs> there's, there's sweater on his vomit already. Perfect. That's, that's going in. <laughs>